You're listening to 2325 Fitness, your favorite health and fitness podcast with your hosts, Rafi Hosseini and Talha Jawed. Our guest in this episode is Yunus Barisek, who is a strength and conditioning coach that specializes in making hockey players strong, fast, and explosive. We talk about training for hockey versus other sports. We talk about in-season and off-season diet. And we talk about much more. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back, guys, to the episode, to the hockey episode of 2325 Fitness. This is probably going to be a unique episode for a lot of our listeners because our guest here can probably attest to it more, Eunice Berisic. So we have Eunice with us today. He's a uh, strength and conditioning, certified strength and conditioning coach, and he's a uh, hockey, explosive hockey player trainer that uh, basically gets your hockey players from like zero to 100 in a specific amount of time. He's trained with more than 500 professional hockey players. One thing I would like to ask you before we get into it is in your experience how big is hockey as a sport you know i mean i know we just talked about earlier that you're in the middle east right now and there's no hockey there's no probably no concept of what hockey is and it's a lot that's played in the u.s in north america so talk about how 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 big the game is and what got you into it with your background being from turkey that was interesting yeah, well, first of all, like I said, my dad is Turkish, but my mother is from Finland. And okay. I was born in Finland. I grew up in Finland. I'm Finnish 100%. So in Finland, hockey is the number one sport, just like in Canada. So you, you could say that worldwide, hockey is not a big sport, but in specific countries like Canada, Finland, Sweden, Russian, uh, Russia, Germany, U.S. it's growing, and in some countries it's the biggest. And I know, okay, Russia. Yeah, you just mentioned. I think I remember that in Russia, that I've seen a few games. But in Finland, are they are they like national level leagues like uh, the U.S., like the NHL, or like yeah, even for the Europe? Do they have like a multi-Euro league anywhere over there? No, the system is set up so that you have each country has their own top level national championship and then the best players out of each country if they're good enough they come over to the nhl to play so everybody's dream is to play in the nhl it's the best league in the world and i mean you're, you you can still be a very good hockey player without playing a single game in the nhl i mean the the best players outside of nhl are still pretty damn good so don't think that you guys got all the good stuff and everybody else is trash. That's amazing. So so there are players that internationally that come and play in the NHL, which is really interesting. I think that gives a really competitive edge, just like the NBA and pretty much any other sport in the world that people from the countries where it's not as popular are still playing in major leagues. Mm-hmm. Now, I wanted to ask you, Eunice, is that have you worked with athletes in any other sport and and how did this begin for you? Like, why was hockey? I, I know you're from Finland, but did, is that the primary sport that you grew up playing or were there other sports and this is the route you took? Yeah, just to give you a short background info. So growing up, I was always an athlete. I was always involved in sports. I played multiple sports, but football, so soccer, 
was my main sport. And the thing is, I was decently skilled, but weak and undersized and genetically below average. And then when I was around 15, 16, 17, I realized I was just not fast, explosive enough to make pro in soccer. So at the same time, coming from Finland, uh, hockey had always been a huge passion of mine. I used to go to the games, saw the local pro team play dozens of times. Uh, I collected hockey cards, which is what everybody back in the day used to do. And I wanted to join a team and play when I was around eight, nine, ten. I, I wanted to join so bad and play hockey, but my parents said it was too expensive. So that was pretty much the end of the line for me as a as a player. So fast forward a few more for more years when I was in university, I started reading up on strength training and how to train for athletic performance, stuff like stuff that I should have gotten involved with while I was still playing sports personally but doesn't matter I got very very interested in all of that and I started lifting for real in the gym for the first time in my life and quickly got into coaching people general population and then after a few years of doing that I realized this is not really what I want to do I want to train athletes because it's just a different mindset and the culture is different so back in 2014, I got uh, an amazing opportunity to enter in the U.S. with two top hockey strength coaches, Ben Prentice, who is widely regarded as probably the best NHL strength coach. Uh, he's with the New York Rangers right now. And then Kevin Neald, who is with the Boston Bruins. And once I finished my internships in the U.S., I returned home back to Finland and got hired by a junior hockey club, which at the time was in the top two in the entire country. So I took over their under 17, under 18 and under 20 teams. And also while I was at this club, I trained the men's pro team in my last season. And after three years of doing this, uh, I decided it was time for me to move on. And since then I've been running off-season training groups for junior college and pro hockey players back home in Finland. And while at the same time, I've been expanding my online coaching program. And now I have several athletes from different countries I train over the internet. So that's pretty much my coming up story in a nutshell. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. And uh, just to touch upon that, like you started off, like you want to train athletes and you get your intern with the hockey, with the hockey team, the coach from the hockey team that you mentioned in this time frame, did you ever work with any athlete that are like, like any other sport per se, NBA or soccer, or like football, even? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I work with a few. Uh, it's not really worth mentioning because hockey is my bread and butter, but before or after I finished my internship and before I started with the junior hockey club, I volunteered at the number one soccer team in, in Finland, the men's pro team. And I volunteered in during their off season training as a volunteer strength coach. So I got a little bit of a glimpse into how soccer pro soccer players train. And I got to say, I wasn't impressed. <laughs> Was it a, just real quick question, the difference in training at methods, I guess, is it more intense and like what makes it different? Uh, we're talking about soccer versus 
hockey. hockey yeah, yeah. Like you're saying specifically hockey interested you, but then seeing the comparison, you know, something's there for you to stick with hockey training rather than looking at how soccer players might have trained. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, I think, Go ahead. Just to touch on Talha's uh, thing is because like you just mentioned like soccer didn't soccer didn't really impress you as much. It's funny because I, I'm personally a soccer fan. Like I really like that's my sport, right? And in that I've noticed like the amount of speed people need, like the body, the 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 movement, the agility, it takes a lot of work. So it's really I want to I want to see your perspective on how that's so different from hockey. Yeah, you gotta understand that hockey players have a different mindset because they're tougher way tougher than soccer players so and they also have this understanding because the game is so much more physical they understand that okay it helps me if i'm bigger if i'm stronger if i'm faster whereas in soccer the guys are like uh like i just like to play football soccer and i i like to run so i can run for 90 minutes in a game but they don't really love the gym i mean it's not that every hockey player loves the gym but I've never met a soccer player who was actually like lifting is a passion of mine. Whereas hockey players, uh, at least the few guys that I've trained that have gone on to, to the highest levels, like they are competitive as hell and they always want to set new personal records and, and beat the other guy in the group or on the team. Whereas in soccer, like, like I said, I wasn't impressed because the weights they were using, the technique they were, using on, on the, in the main exercise and everything. I mean, it was just horrible. So, so in hockey, uh, you know, we're talking about weight rooms and stuff. Is it more weightlifting or would you say like plyometrics involved? Like what's your approach for getting an athlete to his maximum potential? Would it be working on technique, uh, form, weights? What could it be? So first of all, well, I'll give you the reality of, let's say an athlete comes to me in the off season. So, Let's say they're around 20, 20 years old. So that means they're still pretty young, but usually they've been lifting. If they're a hockey player, they've been lifting for about five or so years, but you can say that they've been lifting zero years correctly. So it's just a lot of activity, but not much to show for it really. So the first thing we look at is their technique, which sucks, their mobility sucks. And you got, you got a lot of work ahead of you to actually turn that person into not just a good hockey player, but a great athlete as well. So to answer your question, so that's, that's how we build the foundation. We get them lifting over a full range of motion. We get them lifting with correct technique. We start them light enough so they actually, uh, they, don't, they don't do ego lift, which is a big thing with hockey players. Um, so, and then gradually, we build the guys up to be able to lift heavier and heavier weights and the methods we use are primarily primarily strength training so we squat we bench we do weighted chin-ups we do deadlifts we do cleans but on top of that we also do the sprints and jumps and med ball throws the explosive stuff so it's a combined approach not just oh we got to train like a weightlifter or powerlifter no you got to train like an athlete so it's a multi-pronged approach. Gotcha. And then in hockey, I know it's a lot of sprinting and agility for like the explosiveness you're talking about. Um, I know in other sports, we talk about plyometrics. Is that a lot of things you implement as well in hockey or is it a different approach? Well, we do that. The, the thing 
or the big difference between hockey and all of these other ground-based sports like basketball, football, soccer, baseball is hockey. You, you do it on skates yeah. and skating is not a plyometric activity. And you also practically never jump on, a, on, a, on the ice. So, but those are just differences that happen on the field, but off the field or off the ice, the training approach is not that, is not that different. So to answer your question, we do, we do a lot of jumping in, in the off season. And when I say a lot, I mean, I don't mean a lot as in volume, but I mean a lot as in um, uh, we, we try to get the guys jump as high and, and, and far as possible on two legs and one leg. So uh, yeah, I mean, that, that would be my answer. Okay. So I would assume that jumping, as you mentioned, like, it doesn't factor in as I mean for muscle development yes but in hockey really there's not much of a hop or much of any jump or in any case scenario yeah well this is the interesting thing like I said in hockey on the ice you, you practically never jump like it's very yeah. uncommon but there is a correlation between how high or how far you can jump and how fast you are on the ice because it's all about how fast you can move your own body weight. If you can, let's say you, you can broad jump, I don't know what, what's it, what, it, what it's in, in, in feet, but let's say three meters is a good, very good result for a pro hockey player. And uh, let's say your vertical jump is a certain height. So that correlates very well to how fast you are over the first 10 or 20 meters mm -hmm. in skating. So. You can, you can say that if your vertical jump or broad jump sucks, I mean, that already tells me without seeing you skate that you're not going to be as explosive as you could be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And okay. also give you an idea, the fastest players I've ever trained always had the highest vertical jumps because we developed them that the way. Fast twitch muscles. That. Yeah. But that's, here's the thing too. I mean, some players, some athletes are born fast, like they got very good speed genetics. And even without much training, they are always the best on the team. And that's just life. I mean, so you cannot really look at somebody and say, oh, he's got the highest jump on the team. So we should all train like him because it might be that he's not even that good because of his training, but in spite of it. But, and, and I have to add that I rarely work with, with these types of players, I work with the genetically average or slightly above average. So that actually, so when I, when I give an answer based on a question, I have to reflect on the, the clientele I work with. So if, 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 you're, if you're already born the fastest player on your team, highest jumper on the team, I, you're set. I mean, it doesn't really matter that much what you do because you're still going to be in the back. But if you don't have that from birth, you got to work your ass off. And then, uh, then it really comes down to how well you train. Okay. Now, how does that factor in? I mean, if you're genetically gifted in terms of how your physique is and how your, you know, how your agility, how your speed, how your mobility is, how does it factor in performance? Like, does that go hand in hand with a lot of these genetics, like the elite players? versus the regular player like is it something that the team develops together from from your training perspective 
How do you do you do you also work around some of those hockey strategies and tactics as well while you're training? No, no, not at all. So, so how does that work then with with them? Like, let's say you're training a elite, like a genetic person, and then you're training the average person. Do you see a difference in the performance, or are you able to get them both to the same level, the average person to the elite genetics level at some point? Well, I can say that I've trained. Well, here's the thing. Like when we talk about average, I don't mean like average Joe. I mean average in comparison to the LA yeah, player. So to play hockey professionally, you still have to be well above average genetically in terms of speed, explosiveness, all that stuff. So with that out of the way, a player who was gifted but didn't really optimize their training, nutrition, all that, they might actually end up lower than somebody who wasn't as gifted from the get-go, but they just out-hustled everybody else. Mm. But if we have two guys, one is genetically top and the other one is average, and the, they both, both follow a similar program, they both put in as much effort into it, I mean, the guy with the better genetics is going to be way ahead at the end. Of course. There's no way around it. And, and the thing what a lot of sports lovers, people who watch games, they don't understand how elite these top players, regardless of sport, whether it's NFL, NBA, whatever, these guys are just genetically so far ahead of you that it doesn't matter what you do. If you do their exact routines for 10 years, you're never going to be as good as they are going to be. So, but that's just the reality. Wow, that's really interesting that you mentioned that because in my mind, I always think that as an athlete in sports, they're like, okay, because you know, you always hear the stories of like some athletes made it big, you know, they had nothing, they didn't have the proper environment to train in, proper do this. But now they're like, you know, they're in the top leagues. So, but now that you mentioned, like they're still even on that level, they may be the average Joe on that team, but they're still like way above the regular person when it comes to performance. For sure. <laughs> And the thing is, because it's, it's just, just like with everything else, whether it's mathematics or some people are just way more gifted in certain areas. And no matter how hard you try, if you're not gifted, I mean, don't get me wrong, you can still get to a pretty good level compared to the rest of people. But to be the best in the world at your craft, not going to happen. Sure. No, absolutely. That definitely makes sense. Now, I know you mentioned uh, a couple few minutes ago that it's a mixture of training, not one specific thing. And I know that you also on your social media and so you talked about powerlifting and other training methods as well. You want to? Could you touch upon what's the main difference between powerlifting and uh, sport-specific training? You know, because I know that from my uh, understanding and the research that I've done is that powerlifting makes you really strong, makes you explosive. Of course, you know, some people who are super big and some people who are really lean, that makes a difference. But how different is it when it comes to sports-specific training? Okay, so I got to touch on something you just said there. Uh, there I, don't think, I don't believe there is such a thing as sports-specific training. If, if somebody says, oh, this is hockey-specific training, this is basketball-specific. I mean, everything we do in the gym aims to build a bigger, stronger, faster athlete. And there's a lot of overlap between sports. So you cannot tell me that a strong basketball player looks and performs differently than a strong 
soccer player or does a football player who jumps high or is very explosive and fast over the 10 over the first 10 feet is, is he going to look or, or perform any different than a soccer player who is the same so to me this talk about sports specific training is uh, it's a way for shady trainers to you know <laughs> to promote themselves who are not really good at getting getting results for the athletes but it's just a way for them to distinguish uh, in, in the eyes of gullible athletes and parents who don't know any better but uh, to answer your question uh, powerlifting training obviously is centered around the big three squat bench press and deadlift and I believe they are very beneficial to athletes in pretty much any sport maybe not in chess but all the other sports <laughs> we can think of uh, so but that doesn't mean you should train like a powerlifter because what powerlifters do well is they get very, very strong in lower rep ranges. So maximal strength and some of them are pretty big too in terms of muscle mass. But the counter side of that is they're pretty big in terms of fat mass and any extra fat mass an athlete has on the field or on the ice is just going to slow you down. So, what good is it to be the strongest guy on the team or maybe even in the league if you cannot move your body, if you're slow? Yeah, I feel like you can't do anything. The other thing is powerlifters, not everybody, but, you know, we, there's a reason it is a stereotype. The fat, yeah. strong powerlifter who gets out of gas walking up, walking up a set of stairs. Yeah. So, so imagine being an athlete, a hockey player who has to perform over 60 minutes or whatever how, how, however long the game lasts like one shift if you're out of shape one shift and and you're done for the rest of the game so you're not really gonna add anything to your team or or to to the score scoreboard mm -hmm. so with, with that said um, training an athlete and developing an athlete is way more multifaceted uh, powerlifting is all about getting bigger and stronger through very uh, a very narrow means whereas hockey training for example we have to get them strong in the gym but we also have to do the sprints and jumps uh, for speed and explosive training we also have to do conditioning trails drills so that you can keep up a high tempo over the full 60 minutes so like i said and another thing is uh, powerlifters might train maybe four times per week and an hour 90 minutes a pop and that's it but then you got to factor in how much time you actually uh, train as an athlete how much time you use to do that so we got the speed training we got the conditioning we got the lifting part and of course we got the sports training sports practice and that right. could easily be another 10 hours 10 hours per week so mm -hmm. <laughs> to, to come back to your question like it's just it's different and it's it's multifaceted is the, the word I would say. And to go back right. about the uh, deadlifts, you mentioned deadlifts in the beginning when you started explaining that part. Uh, we had the discussion about the trap bar, trap bar versus uh, traditional deadlifting. What do you think would have better results? Okay, so here we always got to ask like better results for who? Like if you're a powerlifter, obviously your sport involves lifting a straight bar from the floor either with a conventional or sumo stance. So obviously you should deadlift this way most of the time. But if you're not a powerlifter, you don't compete on the platform, then 
it's not as clear cut because there are no mandatory exercises and trap bar deadlifts do have some benefits over regular deadlifts. For example, a big benefit is that it places less stress on the lower back and ner nervous system in general, which means it's easier to recover from. And this is very important for an athlete, like, like I said a minute ago, who, an athlete whose training doesn't just involve lifting weights a few times per week, but you have speed workouts, conditioning drills, and sports practice on top of all of that. Then uh, in addition, if you read the available research, trap bar deadlifts produce higher peak power and peak velocity. And you also spend more time accelerating the bar so one could argue that all of these are more beneficial for athletic performance. But at the end of the day, um, people always like to nitpick things and they are like, oh, what's the best way? But I look at things like there are good ways and there are bad ways. But if, if you do mostly good things, good things are going to happen. And I don't really think there's that big of a difference between trap bar deathlifts versus regular or sumo deathlifts as far as um, training adaptations go. So if you get stronger, what more do you want? And, and as long as you pick something heavy off the floor with good technique, uh, you are going to see results. And for you, I mean, as you mentioned, for athletes, that's, that's, what, that's what you would prefer rather than a straight bar deadlift, correct? Yeah, most players I work with, trap bar deadlift, some of them who are technically more proficient and pick up new exercises easily. Uh, sumo deadlift, I like it also as a variation. If they cannot pull with good mobility, good control, good technique from the floor, then we elevated the bar on, on, on blocks, which decreases the range of motion a little bit. It takes some stress off the lower back and uh, it's a little bit safer. So regular deadlifts, I don't use with my hockey players because the risk to reward ratio is not really there for me. But like I said, trap bar deadlift, definitely always a good option. And then sumo deadlifts, either from the floor or off blocks. Awesome. I wanted to ask you, Eunice, that do you in athletic training, uh, and from my understanding, again, from my experience, I've worked a few athletic, general athletic training programs, there are like a few workouts, but it's not as much. So how does it work for someone who is in season or off season? Do you put like the short reps workouts with heavy weights in an athletic program, athletic training? Is that like pretty often or pretty common? Yeah, I would say that the way I do things, it probably differs a lot what most trainers in this industry do with hockey players. Because a lot of hockey players, they are told, especially the young ones, to avoid low rep heavy training, which means usually they lift between 6 to 10, 8 to 12 reps, sometimes even higher. And they rarely go below 5 reps to really work on the neural aspect of uh, you know, uh, strength gains. And then um, I am a firm believer that you have to spend a decent amount of time lifting one, between one to three reps, one to five reps to actually get as strong as possible. Okay. So during the off season, if I give you a quick rundown, we, uh, we start the guys with higher reps, longer time under tension, and then gradually build a strength base. Uh, we move on, let's say first phase could be eight to 12 reps. Uh, second phase, five reps. Third phase could be 
back to six to eight or seven to nine reps. And then fourth, fourth phase is then one to three reps in the maximal strength uh, range. And then additionally, before they go to camp, especially if they're a uh, older, stronger player, they need that explosive ability, not just the maximal strength. So the final phase would be then more explosive geared with lighter submaximal weights and just moving the bar faster. We also use velocity-based training. We use bands and chains, which all allow you to transform the strength you have already gained into higher power outputs, which is really gonna uh, make you skate faster and explode off on those first few strides. So that's the basic off-season structure. Then in season, and I have to say, it really pains me to say this, but I got to say, hockey players, the majority, the vast majority don't even train during the season. I mean, I get it during the NHL. You, you, you play 82 games, regular season plus playoffs. You travel constantly. So I, I kind of get that. But at the junior level, European pro, I mean, you, you got to make some time for that and not just uh, for how it's going to help you perform this season, but also if your ambitions are higher than where you're current, currently, then you're not going to maximize your development as an athlete if you just train three, four months in the summer and then the rest of the year you basically try to maintain, which doesn't even happen, the numbers plunge. So my approach in season and this, I'm the only hockey strength coach I've ever heard say this. So that should probably tell you something. But that during the three years I was at the junior club, every year at the end of the regular season, so we're talking about March, the guys posted their uh, personal records, you know, in the one to three rep range at the end of the regular season because we trained in a progressive manner throughout the whole season. And the, the difference is huge. If you do the math, if you do that for three, four, five years in a row, you, all year long, you're getting better. Whereas guys train three, four months in the summer, get better, but then they gradually backtrack from there and have to start from ground zero next summer. So, so I was uh, that's, I like, that's kind of like shocking to me that you said that because I mean, for, as you mentioned, for them to be in top condition, I would assume that they constantly have to be putting their body through like training and stuff but the fact that they don't do it and the fact that they this like they kind of like slack and come from ground zero and they're still able to perform of course but that's really that's really interesting fact that i didn't even think of yeah the thing is uh, a lot of hockey players you see on tv they're very good hockey players but they're not very good athletes hmm. and there's a difference sure. and uh, like I said before, I usually work with the more average players who understand that, hey, if I'm going to make it to my max, I got to gain an advantage somewhere else. And that's through your nutrition, your sleep recovery and your training. And uh, I, could, I could spend the next five hours talking about all the different client cases I, I've, I've encountered over the years, but let's not go there in depth. I will just say this, that even though they are in good hockey shape, to play the game, they're not in great athletic shape. And uh, it's not only that they don't train because, you know, they, if you're at the national elite level or, or second highest level, you are still going to do team workouts throughout the season, but it's not really structured. 
it's more like, oh, let's do this workout this week and next week we do this. I mean, there's no structure, there's no progression. And it's no surprise that guys' numbers just go downhill. And also the players don't know any better because there's this uh, disgusting myth that I've said so many times in hockey that, oh, you can only gain, you know, muscle mass, strength, speed, explosiveness in the summer. And during hockey season, it's not possible. And the best you can do is you can just hope to maintain whatever gains you made in the summer. And to me, this is like complete defeated, defeated attitude. And, and like any athlete I train during the season, I'm like, hey, we got to push your numbers up. You got to get better. Yeah, yeah. And in relation to that, I was just on your Instagram yesterday and just looking at it now as well. Um, your your meals and your diet you talk about, along with the cheap meals as well. But uh, it, one of the specific posts are, I've been getting a lot of questions from athletes about recipes and hockey nutrition. So speaking, starting with on and off season, um, what's the difference? And then what would be a general good diet, carbs, fats, calories, whatever it takes? What do you, Or is it just not that important, you think? I think it's very important yeah. and it's very overlooked because everybody thinks, oh, it's the training that's going to produce the magic, but uh, that's just one component of it. So a, a general overview, I would say that 70, 80% of the players who come to me are skinny fat. So they're not even skinny lean, they're skinny fat. So not really any muscle mass and they are above 15% body fat. You cannot even see their abs. Mm -hmm. So what it all boils down to uh, with these guys is, first of all, they've never tracked their calories and macros. They have no idea. Second is they, they always say, oh, I, I'm eating healthy. But then I, I, I have them track all their meals. They send me pictures of their meals for the first week. And I just tell them, like, do what you do normally. Don't change anything just yet. And I'm just shocked. Every time I'm just shocked. Like, you're a pro athlete. You tell me you want to go the, to this league and that league, and this is the shit you're eating. It's Ooh. just not possible. So to just give you an idea, the general, a general hockey diet is very high uh, in carbs. You know, you got the token tomato or cucumber, but that's it. Like not much in the way of vegetables and fruits, uh, maybe a banana once, once in a day. And then a lot of uh, protein bars, uh, a lot of orange juice for whatever reason, a lot of bread, a lot of pasta, a lot of, you know, like I said, a lot of starchy carbs. Oh, yep. um, a lot of guys also don't eat enough protein, lean protein sources. So <laughs> that's, that's the first thing. Like a guy who is skinny fat or fat who comes to me, like, I tell them like, we got to get rid of the junk and, you know, really start eating stuff that comes from the ground or from, from nature. And that was not, uh, pre-packaged so that's already a good good starting point even before we delve into calories and macros specifically mm -hmm. and then um, to give you an idea if, if we got a leaner but skinnier guy and these are the players who say oh i just cannot put on weight no matter what i do is when we start tracking their calories and they have no idea uh it's somewhere around 2500 2800 you know per day and for a hockey player, that's nothing because just to give you an idea, um, let's say you have AM practice on the ice, you got lifting either before or after that, and then you might have a PM practice four times per week and then two games 
during the weekend. So you're easily burning 4,000 calories per day or even more. Mm-hmm. So it's just a question of not eating enough to fuel your body for it to produce lean muscle mass because muscle doesn't just arrive out of thin air. You got to give the calorie uh, building blocks. So every guy who says, oh, I cannot build any muscle, we put them on a, on a muscle building diet with enough calories. And obviously we pay a lot of attention to food quality, like I said before. And then some of these guys really have to push beyond 4,000 calories. And, and I got a couple of guys who are early, early 20s or late teenagers who have to eat over 5,000 calories per day on lifting days because wow. that's how much they need to grow. Wow. So you just mentioned that all these athletes that come to you are like skinny fat. So these are already athletes that have been playing the sport. So, I mean, how does that, like, how does that factor into like, let's say injuries or like how they feel before the game or after the game, especially the, as, as you mentioned that their diet is not the best. How, what have you seen? And could you after, could you also touch on like the calorie game, right? It's interesting. It's really fascinating to me because from an athletic point of view, their, their metabolism is so fast. They're constantly burning. So how does that work for them when they're burning so many calories? Like, do they have to eat it all back? And now I think Bell Hackett touched more on like the cutting and bulking aspect of it. But like, if you're bulking, you got to eat more. If you're cutting, you got to eat less. How does that work when they're constantly burning so many calories? So you can touch on those two points. All right. So the first thing is, uh, if you could remind me, what was the first thing? First one so, was like be, be, them being skinny fat. How does yeah. it factor into their performance with like injuries and their health and their mood with, with like not unhealthy foods that, are the, 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 that they're consuming? It's a, huge, it's a huge factor. And honestly, with the amount of physical activity these guys do, it's, it boggles my mind that it's even possible <laughs> to be skinny fat. But like I said, bad training, bad sleep, bad nutrition, you repeat that somewhere between five to 10 years and that's what happens. So of course it, it factors in, first of all, like I said also earlier, any, any amount of extra fat you carry on your body is gonna slow you down. It's gonna make you gas faster. You're not gonna be able to keep up a high tempo throughout the entire game. That's, that's one thing. Also, uh, injuries like, well, I haven't seen any research that would say there's a correlation between body fat percentage and uh, injuries, but you would uh, think that, okay, it's definitely not going to be any good for you to be skinny fat mm-hmm. and not just the fat part, but also being skinny, because if you don't have muscle mass, especially in your upper body and hockey is very, very physical and the physical abuse you have to withstand on the ice. I mean, collarbone fractures, uh, shoulder injuries are a big thing in hockey. And if you don't have the muscle mass to protect the joints and tendons, then, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's not going to be a good end result there. Definitely. And then uh, to touch your second part, that was about the bulking and cutting or? Well, yeah. The, the bulking cutting and the calories, right? How does that work with, if someone's trying to bulk or someone's trying to cut, but yeah. they're already burning so many calories, how much more do they eat or how much less do they have to eat? And how do you find that out for each and every athlete, for each and every client? It, it really, I would say, I would say I have three levels. Like the best level is if you're just skinny, but lean, because then you can, you can bulk uh, with a bigger calorie uh, surplus without getting fat. Second level is 
if you're uh, just fat, mm. not skinny fat, but just really fat with a gut and everything, well, then it's going to be a cut for sure, you know, a bigger surplus. And the most difficult is a skinny fat frame because then you cannot go overboard with the calories, but at the same time, you also cannot go too strict with the calories or too low because how are you going to build muscle? So that's, uh, that's really where the magic happens if you can hit a uh, high enough amount of calories coming from good quality food sources. So any muscle that you build is going to be accompanied with a, a reduction in fat mass. And if you can achieve that over the summer, then, then that's, uh, that's, a, that's a huge, huge win in my books. Uh, every time I have an athlete like this, you know, it, it's always when we start the project, it's always interesting because I know it's not going to be easy, but the players who stick to it, stick to the food, stick to the training, they get the results. And for example, I had a French national team player uh, last summer who came to train with me in Finland. So imagine this, they're coming from a different country. Yeah. So I'll talk about motivated. And this was a, one of those guys who said, oh, I, I just trained so hard, you know, last three, four years I've eaten like, I've, but I just can't gain any muscle mass. And he was skinny fat. He was about 77, 78 kilos and 187 tall. So underweight, but still not lean, lean, skinny, but skinny fat. And we added five kilos. So 11 pounds on his frame in about three months uh, while his body fat percentage came down. For, for the first time ever, he was actually seeing abs and, you know, there was some muscle definition on his frame and all that. And not surprisingly, this has been his breakout season. He, he's had his best season of his career yet. Oh. And, you know, I've seen the highlights. He's been scoring goals and he's been just flying on the ice. And he says, oh. like, wow, like, yeah. I used to think that if I get heavier or if I train heavy in the gym and bulk up, gain mass, I'm going to be slower, but that's completely the opposite. So it reminds me of that. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to watch the Michael Jordan documentary, the last dance, but in, in that Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan talks about how, uh, so, so they were playing the Pistons, uh, the Detroit Pistons and he was Chicago Bulls. So they were playing the Pistons and every time they would play them, the Pistons would be like really physical because Michael Jordan was a really skinny person. And he's like, before that point, I would never step into a gym because I thought that building muscle in my arms and my shoulders will limit my shooting range. But then when he actually worked with the trainer and he's like, saw the impact, the next season he came back 15 pounds of muscle and he dominated that, that team, you know? So it's interesting, the perspective that just switches suddenly and how the performance gets better. It is. And once you experience that as an athlete, there's no going back because now your mindset has shifted completely. And then you buy in into the system or, and the training approach. And like I said before, these guys who come to me, usually they have tried different, they have tried different approaches and training methods and trainers in the past, but really no results to speak of. And once they see what a good solid summer can do for their performance, like they're hooked. So that's also one of those things that really makes this so so fun for me not just to have a guy for one summer but when they come back and then we gradually build on top of that for three four five years and then i say like okay you're ready like 
That, that's really, like I said, some of the guys I trained in the juniors starting at age 16, 17, 18, now three, four, five years later, they are, you know, playing at the high level and, and, you know, just had one, one athlete who won the NCAA D1 national championship last weekend. I, I, I've trained, I've been training that guy since he was 17 and, uh, you know, it's just, I don't, I don't even follow hockey anymore, like as a spectator, as a fan, because you just follow uh, your clients, your players. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm a fan of my, my athletes, my clients, and, 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 I, and I root for them. So it's just not just about training, but it's also about the relationships you develop with these players, with these young, young guys, young guys, and you try to show them what it really means to live like an athlete, not just a hockey player. Yeah. And then something just came to mind while you were saying that uh, a lot of talks in weightlifting or sports is the foundation, the base, lower body versus upper body. So in hockey specifically, is there emphasis on lower body versus upper body or it's just kind of equal? Well, I will quote what my one of my pro clients, Zach Redmond, for, former NHL player, once told me. He said legs are money and he was bang on in more ways than just one here. So that's not to say upper body training is not important because we want to beef you up just so you can withstand and dish out that physical abuse that is very typical for, for a game of hockey. But at the end of the day, it's all about leg power and how fast you can skate. And that's really what's going to make the difference. Right. If you look at the best players in the world, Connor McDavid, the prime example, like his speed is out of this world and it's all about the legs and hips and and how much uh, power you can produce over those first few crucial strides and get into motion. And that's how you create the time and space to do, do your magic with your hockey skills. Yeah. I would imagine just like, and you, 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 need, uh, you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, is that pretty much across all sports, it's primarily lower body dominant and then some upper body work depending on the nature of the sport. Is that correct? Or really yeah. like most sports just like depends yeah i mean if you look at most ground-based sports you're moving on your legs so that's that's the foundation then there is some differences between let's say american football and rugby on one end because it's very very upper body heavy and then on the other end of the spectrum we might have like let's say tennis or something where you don't have that physical contact so you don't need to be beefy up here and then somewhere in between, you got hockey and then more toward the tennis part of the spectrum, you got soccer. So soccer players, you don't need to be as big in the upper body as a hockey player and definitely not as big as a football player. So it really comes, like you said, it really comes down to the nature of the sport and how much physical abuse you have to take. It's funny with soccer players, I always notice that... Uh their lower body is like huge, like it's jacked. And then their upper body is like, they're just regular. Some of them are like just skinny. I mean, there, there are like some elite, like Cristiano Ronaldo and like Adam Atari. And there's like many players in the European countries that they are pretty jacked. Like they spend time in the gym, you can tell. But most, the regular soccer players are just like, because of course their lower body and they have their legs insured as well. So that's, that's where they're, as your player said, that's where the money, money comes in. And you know, I wanted to ask you one it's probably an interesting question. Maybe you got probably asked this a lot, but how does all this training and everything factor into like, and you can also touch upon the fighting aspect that something happens in hockey. You know, I don't know if it's the same in Europe, but in NHL, like when the gloves are off, they're off, <laughs> you know, it gets crazy. So 
is that something like people keep in mind when they're training or like is that something that factors in well first of all the european game is completely different so fights we don't really have them like if if one if a fight comes up yeah it's it's uh, exciting but it's not really what <laughs> what's on the agenda when the puck drops so uh, we, no we don't we don't train for that and uh, back in the day in the nhl you used to have so-called enforcers mainly fourth line guys who weren't as skilled but it was their job to protect their teammates and you know <laughs> dish it out when when the time came to that but these days even the lower liners in the nhl are very very good hockey players and you cannot just be uh, a goon anymore so slowly it has been fading fading out from the sport um but i i, I get the thrill like <laughs> the, that the uh, red or the sports fan who is not really in the trenches, but just goes to the game and watches watches the show, so so to speak. And when a fight erupts, I mean, it's something different, <laughs> and it's definitely exciting. So I I get the the thrill that you you get it as a spectator, but no, we don't we don't train for that. Yeah, I was disappointed when I went to my first in-person game and probably the only game before the pandemic hit. And I was like, man, can can you guys fight already? <laughs> like, the first thing I want to see how it goes down. You're watching the wrong sport. <laughs> um, yeah, it's also, also interesting to hear stories uh, from, from guys who did that for a living, you know, in their interviews or books. I mean, it's also brutal. Like, we as spectators, we get to see the show side of it, but we don't get to see the broken bones on your face. Yeah. Oh. black eyes you know the stitches and all that i mean it's it's brutal like that is definitely not a job for the weak minded okay and just jumping into something that came to mind um some workouts uh it would be cool to hear your perspective of top five workouts for an athlete to get started and like you mentioned some people come in they've been you know training for years think they got it under control but then you know right away like you guys don't know anything that you're talking about or doing, but what are your top five workouts for someone to get into? Yeah. I mean, it's, we touched on this earlier, you know, when we talk about powerlifting, like I said, I believe that the big barbell has built a solid foundation of strength for any athlete. So to give you a quick rundown of my top five exercises um, for pretty much any sport would include a bilateral squat. I personally prefer the barbell back squat, but front squats or safety bar squats are good as well. Then in addition, some type of unilateral or single leg squat is high on my list. I would say dumbbell Bulgarian split squats are an excellent choice. Uh, for the posterior chain, a heavy deadlift variation, like we talked about earlier, trap bar deadlifts or sumo deadlifts. So that would be three already. Then probably uh, a small surprise to people who are watching this weighted chin-ups mm. and the reason is based on my experience the stronger you are here relative to your body weight the faster you're going to be on the field i mean this correlation has tested or or it has been tried and true in over the last seven plus years i've been training hockey players uh time and time again uh, if you if you're weak relative to your body weight in the way to chin up, you're not going to be as fast as possible. 
And the fifth one would be an Olympic lift variation, assuming that an athlete has three things. Uh, the first one being access to quality coaching because the fast barbell lifts, the Olympic lifts, they are not easy to learn on your own. And so with that, you, you got to have somebody to coach you for proper technique. And with that, uh, solid technique is a second. So, and third one is good mobility. If you have all these three factors covered, then a power clean or power snatch variation should definitely be included in your program. What would you say if for a 160, 170 pound person is like, how would they gauge what their rep range or the weight on a weighted uh, chin up range should be to see if they're strong enough? Uh, so I always say that anything below half your body weight in external resistance is weak. Okay. okay. So if we're talking about 160, 170, so 80, 85 pounds. I mean, that's the cutoff point. Like below that, you're like, forget about it. And then the strongest guys I've trained are usually 0.6, point, you know, points at 0.7 times body weight. At that point, you can say you're strong enough. Like for a 100, 170 pound athlete, what, what does that mean? 100, that's, 120 yeah. pounds? Yeah. Rob. Uh, yeah, around there, 120 or 25, I think, on that range. Yeah. Wow, that's really impressive. Now I, I gotta, I gotta put that to test myself, and I'll definitely get in touch with you and see where I stand with that. <laughs> what are some mistakes that you see a lot of athletes make when they're, you know, you, we talked about ego lifting and like when they're training and when they're dieting, either for bulking or for cutting. What are some of the mistakes that you see? Okay, so first of all, I would say that. And I cannot really stress this enough. So you got to get quality strength coaching for a qualified per, uh, strength coaching person, even if it's for a few hours, because the nuances in technique you're going to learn uh, are just going to be so profound uh, that you're not going to be able to learn from a textbook or by watching some YouTube fitness videos. And I know it's not cheap and people always say, oh, I cannot afford it. But you have to understand that this is an investment in your body, your health, and your performance, not just this month or this year, but for the rest of your life. And you cannot really put a price tag on that. So, um, and to touch on that point, I mean, it's really sad to see so many beginners who think that they can just learn this lifting weight things in, in any kind of productive manner on their own, just by going to the gym and doing stuff. Or like I said, just watching social media posts, fitness posts, um, sorry to burst your bubble, but that doesn't work. And so once you have the technique down and you have hired a coach and, you know, we can safely overload you on squats, deadlifts, bench, everything, then definitely you'll want to invest into a solid training program. Don't be one of these, you know, dumb guys who try to mix and match your own program from seven different sources you find online for free i mean you're not going to get anywhere with that approach trust me i was that guy you know way back in the day i mean back in the day we didn't even have online you know training forums or whatever we had um muscle rags and we did the pro bodybuilder approved workouts which as you can imagine didn't do shit so uh 
And I can, I can tell that even after having worked with over 500 hockey players and coached people from all walks of life successfully for over a decade now, uh, I still constantly tweak and test new things on myself first and later with my athletes. And every single year, what happens is my program gets better and better. So what are the odds that you as a complete newbie with zero or minimal training experience are able to create a great strength program from scratch right off the bat? I mean, all that's going to happen is, and I hear this from confused athletes all the time because there's too much information out there on social media, and internet message boards, and so on. You start second guessing your program. You jump online looking for ways to improve it. And before you know it, you're doing something completely different than what you started with. So now you're just jumping from one training program style or method to another every few weeks. And that's not enough time to make any solid gains. So you just end up spinning your wheels basically forever. And um, I realized this is all of this is big picture stuff because everybody always wants to find that quick fix or magic bullet, the special exercise, the workout of the day or some cutting edge training program that's going to transform your body and performance in a few days or in a matter of a couple of weeks. But that's not how life works. I mean, you get out of training what you put into it and you have to understand that it takes years even decades to reach your absolute maximum potential in terms of strength, muscle mass, low body fat levels, all that good stuff that athletes and non-athletes want to achieve through lifting weights. Mm -hmm. So that's my big picture, long-winded answer uh, to your question. That's, so, and I would assume it's the same thing that goes when it comes to diet specific as well. People need to hire professional, like especially athletes need to hire professional nutritionists when, and this is what happens when they do it on their own. They end up in skinny fat and just go up to you. Yeah, the thing with that is don't just hire anybody. I mean, you know, we got thousands of like online fitness trainers, online nutritionists, and you never know how good they really are. So you got to do your due diligence up front and, you know, check out their track record and, you know, ask for referrals and, and stuff like that. Because even when it comes to nutrition, I have a national team player in hockey in, in Holland, in the Netherlands, who, one of those skinny fat guys, once again, when he first came to me, he said, yeah, I, I talked to a nutritionist. I hired one like a couple of years ago. And I was like, okay, so what did he tell you? Well, actually a she, she told me that if I want to gain muscle mass, I need to eat a lot of bread. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, I look at your body, you're skinny fat, you don't have any muscle, you're too fat. The last thing you need is more bread. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that's really interesting how it comes out. What are some of the tips that you would give to like complete newbies who are trying to get into sport or like fan of the sport or like play for fun? They want to get in shape and they want to like, they're not necessarily, and also for the people who are not necessarily into hockey, but want to, you know, have the same, explosiveness and adaptations what are some of the tips and advice you give in terms of fitness and, and working out okay so well, to touch on what we just talked about just have a have a good program you know that's that's the first thing and obviously you're not going to get maximally strong and maximally explosive if you're doing sets of 10 to 15 reps because that completely defeats the purpose so you have to train in lower rep ranges and you have to you have to build a solid strength foundation. You asked me previously about the way to chin up, but to give you an idea, you know, trap bar deadlift, you should be around 2.5 times body weight, squat around 
at least 1.5 times body weight, you know, to have some sort of decent strength foundation upon which we can then build that uh, explosiveness. And the, the main methods we use to develop that explosiveness, like I said before, jump sprints, uh, medball throws and Olympic lifts. And for an adult athlete without access to quality Olympic lifting coaching, I would say, well, don't even bother. You know, the learning curve is too steep. You don't want to waste your time on that. Just sprint, jump, throw, and you're all set. Awesome, awesome. And yes, I got two two really short questions for you. Number one, your favorite team or, you know, favorite favorite team or favorite player. And number two, if I mean, you're already working with a lot of professional athletes, but if you had to pick one athlete, like from all the sport that you want to work out with, who would you pick? So you can go with uh, your, your favorite team first. And okay, yeah, I'll, I'll go with that. I will have to, I will have to go back in time about 20 years. Joe Sackick, Colorado Avalanche. He was my favorite hockey player growing up because, well, first of all, he was the captain, but he always led by example. You never read anything about him in the, in the headlines, except for hockey. You know, he not, not, and not, you know, no, uh, no alcohol, no benders, no getting busted, you know, beating up a taxi driver, nothing like that. So he was a class act through and through. And of course he had a magical career. Uh, probably not the first name that comes to mind for most people because it would be Wayne Gretzky or Mario Lemieux, or if you're a younger player, then it would be Sidney Crosby or Alex Ovechkin. But uh, to me, Joe Sagic was uh, the perfect hockey player back in the day. And uh, I was very heavily uh, involved in hockey as a fan back in the day, like I said, and their championship team from 2001 uh, when they won the cup, Colorado Avalanche, that would be my top, top number one team and player. And then to answer your second question, I don't really follow other sports that much, but it would definitely be fun to work out with Cristiano Ronaldo for sure. Because based on everything I read, I don't think he is a very good lifter. He's just <laughs> genetically just so yeah. out of this world. But it would be fun to teach him how to, you know, deadlift, trap bar deadlift and squat properly and do some weighted chin-ups, that kind of stuff, and see how, how he fares. Because you can tell that the guy is probably going to be very quick to pick up new movement patterns even though he's probably not going to be what we call uh, a strong athlete when it comes to, you know, the barbell list, but that would de be definitely be a fun experience. Awesome. But he's surprisingly strong when it comes to a lot of soccer players. So that would be interesting take if, if you ever get that chance. Uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> if, if you, if you can hook me up, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> I don't think if I DM, he's, he's probably not going to answer. <laughs> Uh, the same thing goes for you. If you get a chance to train with them, make sure you uh, you let us know. <laughs> for sure. You know, I know that uh, you have a book out right now, and uh, you're helping people, or hockey players and non-hockey players. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about what the book is and how people can reach out to you, where they can find you. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, if you're a hockey player, coach, or parent, or you're just interested in how to train for hockey specifically then you got to do yourself a favor and read my book. It's called Strength Training for Ice Hockey. 
It's the most research-based and practical hockey training book ever published. And I'm just, I'm not just saying this, that's actually uh, the reality. Uh, it's, it's sold in 23 countries so far and counting, and it's available at hockeystrengthbook.com. And also be sure to follow me on Instagram for off-life training tips and advice on, on lifting and nutrition, everything that has to do with training for hockey. My handle is Yunus Barisik, so Y-U-N-U-S-B-A-R-I-S-I-K. So if you want to get in touch with me, those would uh, my Instagram would be the best place to uh, shoot a message. And I'm not even a hockey player, but like following Yunus's stuff, I feel like if I if I dedicate some time, I might make it pro in a few years. Oh my god. <laughs> No, but his content is really good. And that is something unique that I have not seen out there. So definitely give him a follow. And once again, thank you, Eunice, for coming out. I know we're you're on the other side of the country right now. I appreciate you taking out the time. And we look yeah. forward to hopefully having you again for more conversations. Yeah, thank Pleasure you. Pleasure is all mine. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow the Instagram page, 2325Fitness, for more health and fitness information. If you have any questions, send us an email at 2325.fit at gmail.com and please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast.